We are back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again this morning as we make our way through this great letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And we are going to look this morning at verses 12 to verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31. And I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and reading along with me as we look at God's Word this morning. And before we do read God's Word, let's pray and Again, let's ask his blessing on it. Let's go to him and in humility cast ourselves on his grace and pray that he would help us as his word is preached and heard this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we lift up our voices to you in humble reliance upon your grace. Lord, we rely so little on you and seek to rely so much on our own gifts, our own ability. And so, our God, we pray that you would... Remember us this morning as we acknowledge that unless you build the house, we labor in vain who build it. Unless you guard the city, we stay awake and guard it in vain. And so, God, we cry out to you and lift up our voices to you who are in heaven. Lord Jesus, you who sit on the throne of God at the right hand of the majesty on high, we pray that you would help the one who preaches to preach with power and clarity and skill and the one that hears to receive it with humility and meekness and faith and love and that we may all together lay it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you lord change us help us to take seriously the things that we do this morning we pray this in jesus name amen first corinthians 12 beginning in verse 12 there the apostle paul writes these words for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a member of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to that part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the greater gifts? Now I will show you a still more excellent way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, Mark Dever, in his little book, What is a Healthy Church, has 
a really clever little parable that's based off of the words of this passage in which he tells the story about a couple that he calls nose and hand. Nose and hand were a husband and a wife, and they were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service being led by ear and mouth had just ended, and hand was telling nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. And as Dever unravels this parable, he talks about how, how uh, Mouth comes to them and he says, now what's wrong? Why don't you like the church? I thought you liked the preaching. I thought you liked the teaching here. And, and, and Nose and, and Hand say, well, it's not that. We, we like it. We, we like the teaching. We like you, Mouth, and we like, we like Ear, Pastor Ear, but, but we just don't feel like we connect with the other people in the church. And, you know, the noses over here, for instance, we just have nothing in common with the noses. And as Dever unravels this parable, he says that, that uh, nose and hand, this, this couple together talking about their place in the body, finally say, um, we're going to leave this church because we've heard down the street there's another church with a lot of hand clapping, and that's more down our alley, and that's where we feel most comfortable. And Dever's point is that so often... People in the church look at the church to see what they can get out of it and not their part in the body as members in the body of Christ. And that is a very common and easily um, slipped into error, as it were, in the church. It's very easy to slide into that. We like people that we like. We like people that are like us. We like people that like us. We like people who have the same gift set or interest as us. And, and there's, something, there's something natural about that. In this world, birds of a feather flock together. That's natural. There's something unnatural about it in the church. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, has so ordered the church that the church would be individually made up of all these different people playing their different parts, some a more prominent role, some a less prominent role. And what Paul is going to say in this section as he writes to a church laden with schism, a church that's full of people that are exalting people and exalting themselves and exalting one person and their gifts over everybody else, Paul's going to say to them, listen, you are united to one another by being united to Jesus. That you are united to one another and that the body, just as our physical body, has many different parts and we need all of those parts. So the church Being the body of Jesus needs every part. And in fact, there are some parts, there are some parts that we think are dispensable that Paul says are actually more indispensable, that ought to get more honor and that ought to get more care because they're more necessary, even if we don't see why they are as necessary as they are. And so this morning, we're going to see a couple things here as we look at verses 12 through 31. First, we're going to see the importance of recognizing diversity in the body of Christ, and then we're going to see the importance of caring for the diverse members of the body of Christ, and then finally we're going to see the importance of seeking after greater spiritual gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. Well, notice Paul has already introduced the subject of spiritual gifts as we saw two weeks ago, and he's talked about how all those gifts are variously distributed to the body, and where where Paul left us is in verse 12 and 13. He said, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then in verse 13, he'll say, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. Now, The interesting thing is that 
Paul has been focusing on the triune God and his work in building his church. It's every member of the Godhead. God the Father was at work in planning and choosing his people and sending the Son to redeem them. The Son came willingly, voluntarily, laid down his life, poured himself out unto death, and then poured out the Holy Spirit on his church. And what's fascinating about what Paul says in verse 13 is that essentially there ought not to be any unity... In this world, humanly speaking, there ought not to be any unity among Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all of these different people in the world. You know, the world is crying out for unity. United Nations. Nations are crying out for unity. Political parties are crying out for unity. People want unity. And yet we live in a world of diversity. The triune God is unity and diversity. It's one God, three persons. And just as the triune God is one God in three persons, so his church reflects a multiplicity and a diversity of people, a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of gift sets, a diversity of knowledge levels, a diversity of status in society. Paul even says slave or free. I mean, there's no greater division in the ancient world than a master and a slave. And Paul says a master and a slave in Christ by the spirit are made one. And so what God loves to do is look out and God loves to say, look at all this and I will confound the world. I will do something that the world could never do. I will bring together a diversity of people and I will unify them. Notice what Paul says. He says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. You see, the diversity existed The diversity was there. The diversity has been there since Babel. The diversity has been in the world. God, in a sense, have you ever thought about this? God separated the nations at Babel to create that diversity so that now in the new covenant with the outpouring of the spirit and the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, the regenerating work of the spirit of God, he would then unify a people that it ought to be humanly impossible to unify. And he brings them together. Notice what Paul says. He says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. That it's only by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. People cry out for unity. Why can't we get along? Why can't we get along? Because you're not regenerate. That's why people can't get along. People can't get along in this world because they have not been born of God's spirit. And sadly in the church. Sadly, isn't it? People that have been born of God's spirit like to gripe and complain like to assert themselves, want their way, want their preferences. We've talked about that. That's what the church in Corinth was doing. That was the massive problem in Corinth, was that these were people that wanted what they wanted. And Paul's saying, listen, you have such an amazing unity among the diversity of backgrounds and people in this church because God has sovereignly regenerated you and baptized you in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's something for us to ponder. We are what we are because God did what he did through his spirit. If you're a believer here this morning, you are only a believer because God sent his Holy Spirit to change your heart. It's not because you give assent to a set of doctrines. You can say the Apostles' Creed. You know the creeds and confessions. You read your Bible. It's none of that. 
The only reason you are a believer is because God has sent God the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of his people. And in doing that, he has powerfully bonded them together in covenant love and unity. And we are to recognize now, not that we're all to be the same, but that we are unified by the common Holy Spirit, by the third person of the Godhead, that we are to recognize it's okay that this person doesn't have the same gifts. It's okay that this person doesn't have what I have. It's okay that this person doesn't come from where I come from. It's okay that this person has a different skin color than I have. It's okay that this person speaks a different cultural language than I speak. It's okay. They don't need to become like me. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they are, Paul says, we have all been made. Notice how he ends verse 13. We all drink from the the one spirit. You know, during the days of segregation, what was the big deal? What they drank from? What fountain they drank from? What fountain do you drink from? What fountain? If you're a believer... Every Christian, no matter who they are, drinks from the same fountain, and that is the fountain of the Holy Spirit. You drink from the same fountain. You drink from the same Christ. You drink the same living water. You have the same gospel. You have the same need for salvation, the same need for grace, the same need for a changed heart, the same need for dependence of everything that you need in life and and supplied from God the Father Almighty, who is the Father of the family of heaven and earth. And Paul tells us, listen, we're to recognize the diversity and we're to see that there's a beauty about it because God has wanted that. Notice what he says in verse 18. Notice he says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. That this was God's doing. This isn't a mistake. This isn't some vision that the pastor casts to you and says, you need to get on board with my vision for unity with all these diverse people. This is God's vision. This is God's vision. This is the God of the nations. The God of the nations has a vision that different people will be united together in his son by his spirit. And Paul says that essentially every member is in the church by divine placement. Think about that. The people you sit next to as you worship, you don't know their burdens. You don't know all the cares of the people sitting next to you. But one thing you can know is that God has put them there by divine placement. And you'll find out later, you're going to be worshiping with them for all eternity. You're going to be doing the same thing you're doing now, but with more ecstasy and joy and satisfaction and free from sin. And you are going to be praising God with them. And what that ought to do is that ought to enable us to see the diverse group of people and people that we're not like. And it ought to be able to make me say, I love them because we have the same Christ. I love that person. You know, C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, The Way to Glory, kind of captures it, I think, nicely when he says, it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And what he's saying is one day, all of God's people are going to be glorified by that spirit that they were baptized in. And just as the angel, just as the apostle John fell down to worship the angel in the book of Revelation and that glorious angel said, don't do that. Lewis is saying the person that you might find most dull and uninteresting who don't have anything in common with you whatsoever, that person, if you saw them now in their glorified state, you may be tempted to worship that person. And we've talked about this in the past and how much we need our minds realigned, how much we need by way of reminder to be stirred up again to say, do I love 
the diverse people of this local church? Do I love the diverse people in other faithful gospel-believing local churches? Do I love the diversity of the church of Jesus Christ? Because you know what? At the end of the day, let me just say this. It's not about the gifts. That's a mistake people make in this chapter. These gifts ceased with the apostolic age, the majority of them. It wasn't about the gifts. It was about the diversity of the body and God unifying them and supplying them with his Holy Spirit. And you know, the best way for you and me to grow in our appreciation for one another and our service to one another is to recognize that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and that the person next to you is baptized into that spirit and that while it's not about how much are you going to meet my needs, it's about how has God so constituted the body and put every member of that body so that you may be an ear, you may be a nose, you may be a mouth, you may be a fingernail. Why do we need fingernails? I looked this up this week. How are you going to open all the nuts? How are you going to, how are you going to open stuff if you don't have fingernails? God in his wisdom knows what he's doing with the body of Jesus and with the members of the church. And so we're to recognize the importance of the diversity of the body of Christ. And I want us to see here that there is a close connection in this chapter between recognizing the gifts of specific persons in the church and respecting the persons themselves. Now, this could be an easy mistake for us. We could look and say, well, this guy has this gift, and so I love this gift about him. And we could so fixate on the gift that we don't see the person using that gift to whom God has distributed that gift. And that's really what the Corinthians were doing. They were focusing on the gifts themselves. And so if you had a particular gift that seemed more important, tongues or prophecy, what would happen is they were looking at the gifts and they weren't looking at the person made in the image of God, redeemed by the Spirit, who was bearing that gift and using that gift for your benefit. And so they were then exalting themselves and they were putting other people down. And so the connection between the people and the gifts was so tight that an error in exalting one sinfully meant an error of putting one down sinfully. And so what Paul is saying is that we need to learn that not only should we not be exalting one that has a greater gift above others, but that we should be careful to be caring for those that seem to be weaker. Notice what Paul says here as he gives that that parable that Mark Dever gets his off of as he gives that almost humorous parable about parts of the body saying to one another, I don't need you. Why do I need you? I'm not part of the body. All of the different nuances there. Notice what he says in verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts. That's sexual body parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. What Paul is saying is that there is an appropriateness in the way that we deal with one another. There is an appropriateness in the way that we deal with members of Christ's body. Now, in order for us to deal appropriately with the members of Jesus's body, we have to know the members of Jesus's body, and we have to be able to discern whether they are weaker or stronger, presentable or unpresentable. I think that takes skill. We can come to church and not even get to know each other, let alone not to get to know the gift set and the skill set. Thinking about what is unique about this person, why, how is God using this person? 
Is this person carrying burdens that I need to come alongside and help? You know, I was thinking about this because Paul will say how the whole body compensates to help if there's a weaker part. I stepped on a nail, 16 penny nail. It's not a fun nail to step on. When I was 24 years old working construction, went right through my boot, right through my foot. And for two weeks, I used every body part to compensate for that foot that got pierced by that nail. Because that body part was weaker and it needed help. It needed crutches. It needed me to compensate. My body had to adjust to compensate for me going forward. I couldn't cut that foot off. I couldn't just get rid of it. I need that foot. My body compensated. That's what Paul's saying. There has to be a discernment about how to treat one another in the body. And I think this takes great prayerfulness. I think this takes great prayerfulness and great skill. I think it takes us saying, where is this person at in their particular situation in life? Where are they at? What are they going through? Where are their strengths? You know, we like to focus on weaknesses and say, they're not like me, they're weak. Stepped on a nail. It's my foot. They belong. We belong to one another. That's the point that each member belongs to one another. And when one is suffering, notice what Paul says. Paul says, when one is suffering, everyone suffers. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That means God may so choose to use a minister of the gospel and give him a great ministry or a particular Christian in the church to use them to evangelistically turn many to righteousness and we're to rejoice with them, not be jealous of them. And one may fall into times of hardship and, and, and sin and Remember what Paul says, if your brother or sister is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. As if that were you. Now, this is not only countercultural, this is counter ecclesiastical. This is not only countercultural, this is counter typical church life that Paul's calling for. And so we have to give focused attention to say, Am I seeking to see where my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have been redeemed by him, where they're at in life and understand where they're at and understand their burdens and understand their weaknesses and understand their strengths? And just as Paul said, the unpresentable parts need to be covered. Maybe there's times that they need to be covered by love and grace instead of pointed out or talked about. Now, I think we all fail at this. And I think this is a clarion call for us to take seriously God's intention for unity and diversity in the church. Now notice what Paul says, and I know we're rushing through this, but notice what Paul says there in the final verses. He says in 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, this ought to strike you as strange. Paul comes in and he says, look, all the gifts, there's a, there's a hierarchy. Apostles are the best. Nothing better than an apostle. Prophets are under them. And then down the list, down the list, there's a hierarchical structure to the gifts that were in the apostolic church. And Paul's saying there are some that are better and there are some that are less. And then he ends it. You would think he says, so be content with the gift God gives you. But no, he doesn't. What does he say? Earnestly desire the higher gifts. What I think Paul is saying is when you get the principles that we've looked at already, when you get them, 
when, when they sink down and I realize the gifts God's given me is for your benefit and for your blessing and for the building up of the body that I'm a part of, then I will want to use my gifts to the full and I will even want greater gifts. And I will pray, oh God, give me more gifts. Give me greater understanding. Bless me with every spiritual gift you can give me so that I can be the maximum benefit to your church. It's like, it's like working out. I want to be as strong as I can so that I can do more. And so Paul's saying, earnestly desire the better gifts. Now, obviously, God may not give you better gifts. God may not make you a teacher. God may not make you a preacher. God may not make you a, a, a person that prays down great, powerful, mighty works of God through powerful faith. God may not make you that kind of person, but we're to seek that. So the principle is, when we understand the diversity, when we get that we have to be caring to those in the body that are weaker, then we will understand that the gifts we've been given are used for the benefit of the body and that we're seeking together to make our body, our body, one body. We're seeking to make our body the healthiest we can make it. We're all in this together. You know, there's a doctrine in the church that I think is often downplayed. It's the, um, it's the communion of the saints, Phil Riken has a little book I'd recommend on the communion of the saints. And it's a doctrine that is often neglected. We focus so much on union with Christ, rightfully so. We focus so much on um, communion with the Lord Jesus and with the triune God. And yet we often downplay that we are united to one another. When we were united by faith to Jesus, whether you like it or not, you were united to other saints. I love the way... The great hymn, The Church's One Foundation, puts it, speaking of the church, Yet she on earth has union with God the three-in-one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly on high, may dwell with thee. You are not only united to one another in this room if you're in Christ, you're united to the whole host of the general assembly of the church of God, the spirits of just men and women made perfect in heaven right now. You are part of that. Love how Edward Donnelly puts this. If there was just one, I've told you this in the past, if there was just one of God's elect that was not in heaven, heaven would not be heaven. Heaven is not just where Jesus is. It's where the church is. The church, the members, the diverse members You know, I don't know if you know this, but the greatest theologian in the history of the church was black, St. Augustine. Contrary to our Western Anglo-Saxon world, the greatest theologian in the history of the church was a black man. What that does is that helps us form a proper biblical picture that we are just one little tiny part of something so much greater that God has gathered together a diverse people worldwide, from the beginning of time, and he has made us into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this as I close. Jesus exemplified the knowledge of this more than anyone. He became our elder brother. He took on flesh and blood, just as the children had partaken of flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might disarm the one who had power over death and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took flesh and blood to himself, became like us, tabernacled among us, bore our sorrows, carried our weaknesses, was made weak so that we might be made strong, was made poor that we might be made rich. He didn't come for people that were like him. He didn't come for people that had great gifts and strength. He came for undeserving, filthy sinners like us. And he poured his life out unto death. Think about that. There's no greater exhibition of what Paul's calling for than what the head of the body, Jesus, did for his body. That's it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he had in mind every weak and unpresentable and seemingly dispensable person that he came to redeem on his mind. We, we, we are weak and unpresentable and dispensable, and he made us part of his body through his death and resurrection. And he's going to bring us to glory. And you know what? In heaven, there's not going to be any more schism or division. There's not going to be any more, I want my way. I want this. I don't know why they want this. I don't know why they're not doing like I'm doing. There's not going to be any more of that in glory. The lamb is going to be all the glory. And all the saints from every tongue and tribe and nation and language are going to be gathered around the throne and around the Lamb saying, you are worthy for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood from every tongue and tribe and nation and language. You are worthy. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy. Now let me say, if you are not in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've never been baptized into his spirit, you will not be there in glory. He will send you to eternity of hell and destruction of schism and turmoil. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you this. We are not all just rocking our way to heaven. Unless a man, Jesus says, is born again, baptized into the spirit of God, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But if you are born of God's spirit, you are going to be with that glorious host of people made perfect, arrayed with white garments, no blemish, no sin, no stain, no spot, because of what our Lord Jesus has done. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let's pray. Father, we are so weak in ourselves. We are so poor and needy in ourselves. We fail, our Father, to see the members of your body for what they are and for what has happened to them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that each one in this church who has been baptized into your spirit, that we would drink deeply into that same spirit, and that we, drinking deeply into that spirit, might minister to one another and might minister the gifts that you have given us to one another. Oh God, give us love. Give us that more excellent way. Give us hearts full of love and affection and care and patience and tenderness and truth towards those that we are united with your son, Jesus. Make us to know more of our union with you, Lord Jesus. Make us to know deeper and greater and more lasting communion. Make us to long for that day when we'll be gathered together with your people in glory. We pray, our God, that you would make us to eagerly anticipate that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.